welcome back to the Thundersticks Podcast. I am your host, Ben Kreider, and today I'm going to be talking about the Thunders game versus the Philadelphia 76ers. Going to be talking about Darius Baisley really blossoming in his return, Tony Bradley and what he did, and I'm also just going to be trying to make out what we saw from Darius Baisley and maybe what we can see from him in the future. So heading into yesterday's game, pretty interesting. I talked about in the last episode that Lou Dort and Bays, you know, they were kind of up in the air. Both of them ended up playing in the game. And because of that, they actually helped make history. And this is something that the Thunder have kind of been approaching like all season long. And the record I'm talking about is the youngest starting five of all time. And I think the Thunder were on the doorstep. They got second place earlier in the season. I believe they actually won in their game as well. Or at least it was a very good fight that they played. And um, that was kind of that. But they were not able to shatter the current record. And the current record was set four years ago now by the Phoenix Suns. They ended up having a lineup that averaged out as 21 years old and 14 days. When you look back and see who was on that roster, you're talking about guys like Tyler Eulis playing big-time minutes for that team. You had Devin Booker, Derek Jones Jr., Marquise Chris, and Alex Lynn. So really all those guys were super young. I'd probably say Alex Lynn was the oldest out of that bunch. I don't know by how much that was, but kind of propped it up a little bit. So you're talking a little bit over legal drinking age in the United States, but yeah, I mean, that's super young. In that game, they ended up getting completely clobbered. And I might be foreshadowing a little bit here, but Oklahoma City, when they rolled out their super young lineup yesterday, kind of gave you the exact same result. So you ended up plugging in Lou Dort and Bays instantly in the starting lineup. No minute limitations at all. They were 100% good to go. And you move those two in with two teenagers, the youngest player in the NBA in Alexei Pokashevsky, and then the sixth youngest player in the NBA in Teo Maladone. And then you get Moses Brown into the mix. And when you're looking at how old these guys are, when you average them out, you're talking guys who would not be able to go into a bar and drink. Absolutely insane. Average age, 20 years old, eight months and six days. So you end up snapping that record by the Phoenix Suns, by a pretty wide margin, which that's that's kind of crazy to even wrap your mind around. But yeah, I think I saw something online where the Baylor National Championship team was like right around 22 years old. And you look at these guys, really wild. You can continue to just crunch the numbers up. Really, you're just looking at a college team. You know, Maladon and Alexei Pukashevsky, they could be playing in college right now as a freshman in hell. You know, maybe they're going to prep school. They still kind of fit the bill there. So everyone's super young, and you kind of just combine them all and see what works out. But yeah, I mean, whenever you enter this, clearly you're talking about a completely different team. I mean, when Lou Dort and Baisley were together, it was before the All-Star break, before this whole entire second half of the season. SGA, honestly, was probably playing back then too before he had his plantar fasciitis injury. But yeah, I mean, Dort, he kind of came back. We've seen him before uh, or after the All-Star break, but he was out seven games before this. This was a really bad stretch for the Thunder, lost six out of their seven games. And then when it comes to Darius Baisley, didn't see him for the whole second half of the year. 
And um, in that time, OKC, they went 5-12, and 12, and that's bottom five of the league we're talking right there. So they really have not been that hot, but what you saw from them, just a lot of young guys out on the floor. We got to see a ton of opportunities. Everyone's been injured, really, so you got to see guys like Svi Mikhailuk go from someone who was barely even getting 10 minutes in a game to now you're counting on him for 24 minutes. Tony Bradley's been able to carve out a role. I think with everybody added on, that wouldn't happen. Moses Brown, I think he has a steady grip on things, but him too. And then you look at guys like Teo and Ty Jerome having point guard roles. So a lot of different kind of deals have gone on. And I think Alexei Pokashevsky is also in that bunch where all these young players have just been thrusted into the limelight and they have had to bend this. They've been the stars and hasn't been the result we've wanted every time. But you've gotten those 33 point games from Maladon, Poku dropping 25, being able to say, you know, this guy's going to be the next unicorn. And when Dort and Baisley come back, kind of sets you back a little bit more into reality because they are going to be some of your mainstays in the roster. So the ball wasn't completely in the young guys' hands the whole time. And Dort and Bays, they're just sophomores. It's crazy to think they're not the young guys anymore. But, I mean, for the team, they're kind of some seasoned veterans now. So you didn't see the hand, like the ball in the rookies' hands the entire game. And I kind of think you can kind of chalk it up as an identity crisis almost because they did kind of have some cohesion issues. End up losing the game against the 76ers. 117-293, so yet another game they dropped by 20-plus. This one was by 24 points. Because of this, Oklahoma City, their losing streak continues to 6, tied for the worst in the league. Sacramento also is riding a 6-game losing streak as I am recording this. And now they are in a really good position for the lottery. And when you go in reverse standings right now, Oklahoma City is 7th. They have an entire game lead above the Toronto Raptors. They have just been on our tails the entire season, at least the last month. Actually, I, I take it back on month, probably the last week or two. Pelicans were the guys who were kind of fighting with us earlier on in uh, in March and stuff. But yeah, I mean, we finally have the separation in between them. I mean, when you look ahead, you got Cleveland and Washington who are really close. I mean, Washington, six and a half games back. Cleveland, they just finished their game. They're six games back. So not a ton of room in between those guys. I think you can kind of hopscotch them maybe in the next week. So for those of you interested in tanking, I mean, this has been just an absolute dream because you've seen all the young guys playing, haven't gotten the Ws, but when you're looking long-term, that might be a good investment anyway. So they're continuing to plummet in regards to the 76ers, their fans come out of this extremely happy because now they are tied for top dog in the Eastern Conference with the Brooklyn Nets. Both have 36 and 17 records. So I think everybody kind of left this game happy. But when you kind of break down what happened in the game, Darius Baisley just beasted to begin with. And we're talking 10 points in the first quarter. Two of them coming off triples and him slashing inside. He looked at 100%. Nothing was stopping him. And we've seen prior to this game, like the first quarter has always been his time to shine. He'll get in sync and then he'll drop off a little bit. Saw a little bit in this game where he didn't really continue to put on the gas for the next three quarters. But yeah, exceptional first quarter from him. And he also was helping to distribute the basketball. He kind of took the SGA role that we saw earlier because um, Teo is the new point guard. So it kind of gets split up a little bit differently. So 
he was finding people really good at dumping the basketball off we've seen both Bradley and Moses Brown just hide behind defenders and just slam it down when it comes to Brown he's dunking it every single time so he was getting buckets the first 14 points came from Baisley and Brown got snapped by a Lou Dort three and on paper that's amazing but you need to look at the flip side of things where Philadelphia they were converting at a high rate and it wasn't off of just two players so you had a lot more threats to kind of be defending and it really ended up hurting them because Philadelphia ended the period on a 18 to 11 run already were up a baker's dozen they were up 37 to 25 and to make matters worse Alexei Pokashevsky had to miss the remainder of the game he had some right arm soreness it looked like in shoot around and kind of was nagging like I think Dagnalt said after the game he was kind of impressed that he even wanted to play because he clearly had pain there but played for eight minutes just wasn't feeling it kind of talked to the uh, training staff the medical medical coaches and they decided to just pull him from the game pretty smart decision don't want to injure him on uh, just a regular season game like this not really any high stakes anyways so he was done for the game and it just led to more possessions for some of our other guys but the thunder when it came to the second half or the second quarter they were just looking all inside and that's kind of how it was in the first but really more prominent in the second their first five field goals came right under the basket and then they had like two free throws splashed in there but they were just focusing right inside they could not buy a three they weren't even trying to take threes and it was a little bit painful for them because um philadelphia could stretch the floor but in that time that okc was just trying to direct their attention to the cup it was working pretty well like the percentages were really firm i think it was around five of seven to begin it before they kind of broke their streak with a mid-range but one of the plays was pretty hilarious so tony bradley he gets the ball like middle of the lane and he just does a little push shot you know he doesn't really sky up for anything just a really typical push shot like i could probably do it so he gets it up and it's on its way down I'd, I'd probably say it's a solid like foot off from the rim so it's like 11 feet high and Dwight Howard just comes soaring in out of nowhere like he was not even facing the rim like the rim was not behind him he came swooping from I think the right baseline and just pretending to be Superman again so he got up there swatted it kind of hung up in the rim like if he t if he didn't take his time on this, he might have gotten the block off. But he just kind of flew up there and just just waited a little bit, and then it started falling down. Smacked it. That's an easy goaltending call. So that was one of the field goals you got out of those five. That was probably one of my favorite just moments of the entire game. But that's what you're looking at. So just kind of that one dimensional offense, which when you're making it, it's amazing. But Philadelphia was making it everywhere so they got their lead up to 20 points with four minutes to go Oklahoma City did a good job kind of capping it off they were only down 13 points they were down 66 to 53 because they had a 14 to 7 run and it ended with a Teo Maladone three-pointer right corner buzzer it's good to go so got a little bit of high hopes heading into the second half both teams were shooting on fire as well, so that's even more of a reason. Low 50s for both of them, and yeah, so kind of high-spirited. And then you go into that third quarter, Lou Dort's feeling it. 
had the team's first seven of ten points. But the problem was, time it took him to get those seven points was way too long. They, from the 12th minute to that 6th minute, could not get any sort of cohesion between the members. And that's what that's why I talked about the identity crisis like 5 minutes ago, or however long ago it was. They had 6 or 7 straight possessions in the beginning of the quarter. We're talking, you know, loose ball turnover, bad pass, just those kinds of plays, really just not on the same mark, miscommunications. I know there was a play where you had Darius Baisley taking the ball up in the half-court offense. He's at the top of the key, kind of just seeing where he can pick his spots. You got Kenrich Williams on the right wing, and he started moving inside. He was looking to go to the corner, looking to make a baseline cut, whatever it may be. And Darius Baisley just completely misinterpreted it and launched it to the hash mark. So it was a pretty clear, you know, just just bad play. Uh, Baisley talked about his turnovers after the game, saying, you know, it's his fault. He'll address it. But, yeah, it was just one one pretty bad turnover there, and it just kind of spiraled out of control. So Philadelphia, they got their 20-point lead back yet again, and Dagnall, he was just done. He wanted to throw back in the bench, guys, to try to get some sort of hot streak going, and it worked because they got another pretty nice run to close 14 to 8 so Philly was up 90 to 76 entering the fourth quarter and when you're down double digits there's not a lot of room for mistakes only 12 minutes to go gotta play near perfect Oklahoma City did not do that they continued to cough up turnovers first three possessions were just like that and yeah I mean you can't set the tone like that in your quarter. You know, they had a good couple of plays kind of splashed in there, but nothing nothing really worthwhile. So they ended up losing by the aforementioned 24 points. When you look at who played well in the game, Darius Baisley's the guy. And first quarter, he's always on fire. No different. Continue to carry it over from before his shoulder injury. End of the night with a team high of 17 points. Shot 7 of 12 from the field. Had 9 rebounds and 5 assists. I think the biggest deal that I made yesterday in my podcast was how's he going to do from 3? Because I think with him, we kind of have established that he's a really good ball handler at a power forward spot. And he's really good at just making plays inside. Like he is a super crafty when it comes to finishing plays off with all the kind of plethora of moves he has in his bag. But he needs to be able to kind of unlock that third level of the three-point shot again because he shot really flat, like 29% on the year. So that was the biggest deal with me. And he did really good. He shot three of four. Two of those came in the first, as I talked about. Other ones kind of trickled in. But I was really impressed from, um, from what he was doing on that front. I think... The only real blemish was turnovers, and it was because Dagnault kind of gave him the keys to the offense in this game. Didn't have SGA. Maladones looked good, but kind of moved um, moved parts. I think I said split kind of the uh, the abilities there. So Baisley had a big cut of it, and yeah, he almost got double digits in turnovers. He had nine. I think the only other time that's happened this year was with Isaiah Roby. He either had nine or seven in one of his games, but it was not that good. So Bayes, 
that was his main issue. I don't think that's gonna be what you remember from that game, though. Like when I when I'm looking at, at how he did last night, it was completely positive. Yeah, I mean turnovers were a really big part that kind of screwed him over, and it screwed the team over. But the whole team was kind of just off cue, anyways. We had 23 turnovers, second highest output of the season. So you can't really put it into one guy. So I think he did a good job when it came to just attacking. He was amazing at slashing to the basket. Joel Embiid, Dwight Howard, didn't matter. Give him two points and get back on the other side. That's really all it was for him. So really good, really good um, return game for him. And then when it came to your second man in line, came from Tony Bradley. And this is kind of funny because, you know, we had this like three-team deal where we traded George Hill off to the 76ers. They give up they give up this like package where they give Terrence Ferguson to New York. We get Tony Bradley. I think um, we get Austin Rivers too from the Nets. And then they gave us two second-round picks. So we got draft assets. And then we got Tony Bradley and kind of a throw-in with Austin Rivers. Rivers doesn't really matter, but we got two picks in Bradley, and Bradley absolutely balls out in the game. He had 16 points and 14 rebounds, and the man that they traded all that for in George Hill didn't play a minute. He's still out with his thumb injury. Totally understand. If you can't shoot, I don't really know how you're going to play like at a point guard position, so he was out. Tobias Harris was out, but just a little bit funny to think about that. Like, I mean, Sam Presti did it again. Tony Bradley's only 23 years old, and he was by far one of our top three players. You could even try to make an argument that he was the best. But yeah, for him, he's just been killing it. I think he's kind of just doing the same thing Moses Brown has done. And I guess Moses Brown has a lot of film on him because now he is just completely smothered every single time he goes up for shots. He doesn't have any leeway anymore. Tony Bradley, he kind of does. He's always really good at kind of hiding in space. Nick Gallo asked him a question just like that in the postgame presser, and that's kind of what he gave. Like, whenever he's setting screens, he's always kind of looking towards the future. You know, whenever his guard or whoever it may be gets down to, like, the block and right out of the rim, he is just looking and reading off his matchup to see, you know, where can I hide to where he's not going to see. I can get a beautiful dump off and then I can get up the shot before he can really even turn around. So he did that the whole time and he shot 7 of 11 from the field on just really good looks and even top it all off. He had three blocks and he was kind of giving some hugs and handshakes to his former teammates. You know, he had so much hype surrounding him whenever he came over here and just throughout the year. You had Dwight talking highly of him. Joel Embiid, I think, calling him, like, the the future or something wild like that. Calling him, like, a superstar. So, yeah, they got good bonds there. Bradley was talking about it, how um, it was a special experience being with the 76ers and just how they play. Said they play the right way. And, um, yeah, he was playing the right way against them. So, you know, even though maybe he didn't have any minutes because they already had Joel and Dwight, they might be given second thoughts if uh if George Hill doesn't pan out for them but as we've seen with George Hill I don't think they're going to be that disappointed anyways so maybe it's another deal where kind of both sides come out of it pretty happy so Bradley was nice and then you had Lou Dort coming back he had 15 points on 6 of 12 shooting also had five rebounds and shot two of four from downtown 
Ty Jerome also had double digits. He had 12 points. And uh, that actually wraps up the guys who had double digits. Pretty wild. Typically, when you see the leading score at 17, you're talking six or seven guys in double digits. Absolutely not. That's how frigid the team was. And um, really, like, not even sh- shooting percentage-wise. They were great. I mean, they actually shot better from the three and just overall than Philadelphia did. They just didn't have enough shots. Those turnovers they had were costly. They only shot 76 times while 76ers shot 94. So they shot 18 more attempts at the field. So you take percentages out the window. You're talking about sample size, and they had the much bigger sample size so that's why they were able to take that over but i mean they shot pretty well they just didn't have enough tries because of how many empty possessions they had on things that didn't even develop for them so it was kind of a tough going there you also had um a guy like jalen horde i I have him written down here because he had a good game like he had eight points did his role off the bench been a very good two-way presence for us but he actually broke his streak with the thunder in the last three games he's had since his contract, every single game, he's had double digits. Did not make the cut, so you can say goodbye to that. Street goes down to zero, and he's going to have to work in the next game to try to kind of add back on to that. And it's going to be a tough game for them because they're going to be going up against the league's best team, going up against the Utah Jazz. They are 40-13, and 13, only team in the league to have 40 wins right now. Tried searching this up, but um, on whether or not they are already clinched for a playoff seed, I don't know if they are. I don't. I don't think I see them as that. But they're a real threat right now. Donovan Mitchell, I mean, pff, he's just on another level right now. Rudy Gobert, one of the best rim protectors in the league. Seeing him go up against Moses Brown and then Mike Conley, Joe Ingles, Bogdanovich, very stacked. On paper, you always look at him and are like, you know. They cannot be that good, but they always find a way to get wins out. And whenever we played them, I think it was in December or early January, it was actually pretty close, but we're definitely talking different circumstances right now. They are living the good life, and um, we are not. I mean, we have our largest losing streak of the season, whereas the Utah Jazz, they've won eight of their last 10 games. So I think it's going to be another matchup where, you're going to see a lot of young players getting minutes in the back end of game, second unit kind of game. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, we'll see what goes down. We've seen crazier stuff happen with the Thunder lineup and just overall this season. So don't leave anything out with uh, with how they're going to do. But we'll just see kind of how everything um, services. And, uh, yeah, we're going to see them play on Tuesday. So when you look past the game we just had, You kind of want to go back into that peripheral of what we can expect from the future. And it goes back to Darius Baisley and kind of Poku, but more of Baisley. And I want to talk about more on what he did in the game yesterday. And I kind of already talked about it in terms of what I was expecting from him. I wanted to see how he played as a perimeter threat. And he definitely was that, you know, four shots. You can't base your whole claim like I can't just flat out say, oh, he's got rhythm because he's had those games before where he is damn near the number one option at some times. And then he has those games where you're going to have teams sagging off on him and they're going to kind of reap benefits off of that. So we'll see how he does against the Utah Jazz, just see how he does in the remainder of the season. But I mean, I'm impressed. The deal with him 
is always kind of how he just operates. His best mode of operation is give me the basketball, get out of the way, and let me work. Because I do think at the power forward position, he's got to be in the top you know, 10 players when it comes to penetrating the basket. And I know that he's more of a small forward, and I think if we're looking at his whole body of work, like maybe small forward might be a better option for him, but Dagnall continues to put him at power forward, and I think slotted there, that's his biggest advantage. So you give him the ball, and you throw him like a six foot 10, 250-pound power forward, basically he's going to win that matchup every single time with ease. And he was able to finish off really every single layup in the last game. That was something that always kind of was a stinker with him because he was never able to cap off layups really that well. But yeah, it's kind of just uh, fresh from him. So when you look at how he's going to do in the future, I think with no SGA present, this is kind of the role you are going to expect from him. I mean, he was the primary ball handler if we're going to be quite honest here I think that you just got to look at the stats and see the assists and turnovers that he had to kind of reference back to that I mean he had the tie for the most assists on the team tied with Teo and uh, Ty Jerome but he also you know had the turnovers that's kind of how you gauge things but it's going to be a split with Maladone I think whenever you had SGA playing it was clearly SGA's like team he was getting high ball screen after high ball screen going right inside he led the league in drives for a good portion of his uh season and then you know he'd kind of just kick out and you'd rework and you'd have guys like Diallo also kind of playing like that in the second unit but guys like Darius Baisley were kind of pushed to the side that's not how it works right now he's in the forefront of the offense and this is going to be probably the most pivotal part of his season. I don't want to go as far to say career, but it's pretty cutthroat right now with all these young players we're going to have coming in. And it's going to be tough because of how limited our roster spaces are going to be anyways. So he's going to need to earn his stripes. And he's going to need to do that by just balling out. He's got to look like the man as a point forward and shooting that's something that you need to like really improve on Lou Dort from last season only shot around 28 29 percent from three he's shooting 32 percent right now if Darius Baisley is able to elevate into like the 31 32 hell even 33 percent on the year that's how you know he's making major improvements Fill out that three-point shot. There's no way you're going to be losing out on your role. So keep that up and then just continue to be the main guy. Like if you want to be the ball handler, do that. That is something that I think all fans have enjoyed watching from him. When he has the ball in his hands penetrating, good things tend to happen. When he's working out from the perimeter, maybe not so much. So for what we're going to see from him in the future, until SGA comes back, it's going to be the playmaker. Whenever SGA comes back, it's going to be a kind of a relearning process again because of how he's done. But maybe if he kills it, you know, we might be able to see more Darius Baisley running with the uh, with the ball, even when, when SGA does return. And when he does, like, I don't even know when that's going to be, to be honest. But, uh, you know, we're, you're talking maybe like last week or two of the season. Kind of just get a little bit of a 
taste of what that would look like heading into next year. And then you're going to get some new roster acquisitions as well. So a lot of different things are going to get shaked up. But just just look at him as kind of moldable. He's really just been that like building piece ever since the beginning of the year. He was expected to just break out. Really has not been having the most amazing numbers on the year. But you can't rule him out right now. Only 20 years old. Just came off a really impressive game outside of those turnovers. And if he's able to shape that up, I mean that that's a damn near a perfect game from him anyways so I'm really excited from what I've seen from Darius Basie at least from this game we'll see if he's able to apply that into the next ones but yeah I mean he's definitely going to be one of if not the guy with the ball in his hands we'll see kind of how Poku fits in there because in his eight minutes he didn't even have a point I don't even know if he had a like an assist or anything he really was just kind of in the background maybe it's due to the injury but I just want to see how that kind of pairing works as we're going to have the chance to see that unfold without SGA. And uh, we'll see how Maladone kind of slides in there too, whether it's like 33, 33, 33, 50, 25, 25, whatever. Just see where the ball goes and how everybody is doing. Just looking at him as a point forward still is going to be that and see if he's going to be able to play at the four long term because he's been thrown against the big guys and like Julius Randle and I think even he was even playing like KD and just those pretty big guys like that and it, it was pretty tough for him but I think Dagnall's going to continue to kind of press him there and see if he's able to solidify a role so see how he does as a playmaker see how he does against those larger fours and then yeah just see if he's able to improve on the three if you get two out of those three it's a home run for the remainder of the year. You get all three of those. I mean, that's damn near a grand slam. So just watch out for Bays. And same goes for everybody else on the roster. If there's anybody else on the team you want me to kind of do a spotlight on, make sure to tell me. I'll definitely be able to fit that in on one of those off days. Um, so, yeah, I'd really appreciate any sort of feedback as well. But other than that, guys, that is going to wrap up today's episode. I thank you all for listening, and I will talk to you all next time. See ya.